What up? This is Yinka Diz. Peace. This is Outlaw. And you listen to the 80s Babies Podcast. And on today's episode, we're coming back with the spring recap, a spring quarterly. And we're going to do things a little bit differently this time. We're going to start out with more of the, the relevant albums and the more relevant moments. And then towards the end of the episode, we'll just kind of recap all of the new stuff that came along. And then we'll also put out another bonus episode to recap the albums from the previous year. So 1989, 1994, and 1999. But on today's episode, we're going to start out with 2019 and just talk about the relevant things that happened. So, you know, we've got the Beyonce Homecoming Netflix special, the Wu-Tang Clan of Mike's and Men documentary, DJ Khaled's album, Anderson Pac's album. And so, yeah, we're just going to go ahead and, and start with the most relevant things. I think also to add to that, um, also the passing of Nipsey Hussle, which we covered. So for the folks that have listened to the Sound Bombing 2 episode and gave the feedback that they really liked the words that we had for, for Nipsey, want to say we appreciate that. We actually just put that as a separate bonus clip for, for folks that want to hear it you know, on the SoundCloud. And if you hear us kind of skipping that, in us talking about the quote-unquote relevant moments, the reason is because we addressed it there. So. so yeah, so let's just start off with Beyonce's Homecoming, which hit Netflix on April 17th of this year. And obviously this is the, I guess, the documentary footage plus the concert yeah. of the Beyonce's performance at Coachella from 2018. Pandemonium. Were you able to listen to uh, or check any of this out? Nah, I didn't, I didn't see it yet. I, I do plan on watching it though, but um, I've definitely heard a lot. And, you know, even crazier is, you know, the times that I've gone out, I see that now they play Beyonce's Before I Let Go, um, you know, rendition in the club, even though it's live. Actually, I'm not sure if it is live. I think that what they do is they use the marching band because I want to say Tay Keith. Uh, fuck these niggas up. I think he produces. Tay Keith, fuck these niggas up. I love that intro. I I love Tay Keith. (laughs) I think he produces the track. And so they okay. got, they're still using the marching band, but I don't think it's actually a live session. Like, I don't think it's a recording mm. of the live band. Oh, I think it okay. is a studio thought, production, I think. Interesting. I thought that it was. And, and that you, you're right. They probably just did that rendering so that it feels, it feels live. But I just assumed that that was like the live recording because when they play it, a lot of the DJs I see are playing like Before I Let Go, the original, mm-hmm. and then... And then they drop Beyonce in, and you can hear the difference in audio quality. Okay. You know, like pretty, apparently. What do you think about that song? It's cool. I like it. I like it's it a lot. Bad. Yeah. I really like the arrangement. And of course, the yeah. obvious, you know, blending of the two most yeah. iconic electric slide songs. At That's least for exactly the African American community. The way that that track is arranged, and I'm not sure how much Take Keith is responsible for that. Uh-huh. Maybe Beyonce's responsible. I don't know, but it's really, really, really nicely done. The Beehive's gonna kill me on this one, but um, I feel like Beyonce only has a couple of records that are gonna be like the they get played at the quote-unquote cookout, right? This uh-huh. proverbial cookout we keep talking about. One is the um, I may be young, but I'm ready. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, That's that record, like we that, like, like that. Right. That's like a timeless record. Like she has. A few records that are like that maybe in her whole catalog two three yeah and so like this being you know like you said the combination of the two most iconic black cookout wedding just any black event songs merged together like that i think is is, like you said perfect pairing there so you're right whoever whoever thought to put those two together 
That was ingenious. When did the cameo candy become the electric slide staple? Is it is it the best man? I think best man best is what man? made that. But I will say, like, if somebody plays Marsha Griffiths, I'm sorry, like, I don't get up to do the electric slide to the electric slide song. <laughs> but but when I hear cameo, like, I'm there, dog. Or, like, or before, before I, I let go. go. Before I let go, I'm gonna look around, right? Cause I like the song. I could just two step to that, you know what I'm saying? But but if I see everybody else hitting the electric slide, and it's literally the only like line dance that I do yeah. is the electric slide. But if those two songs come you on and everybody wobble? start killing, I it, do the wobble. Nah, I'm not a wobbler. I'm not a cha cha slider. Oh, I don't do the cha cha slide. Cha cha slide is too basic, but I'll, I'll wobble. I barely even do the uh, the swag surf because I feel like swag surf now is like almost like a line dance. People play I mean, that at a party look, and everybody everybody gets up and starts doing it. Swag surf is the intro, the first hook, and then the first eight bars of the first verse, right? Yeah, and yeah. when when the first eight bars of that first verse are going, that's when you mm. blend into your next song. But I mean, the feeling and the pandemonium there, like. It's definitely a crowd participation. Of record, course, you know? of course. That's the yeah. only thing. That's the only reason why you put on swag surfing. You're right, telling right. me that when swag surfing comes on, you don't lock arms and, and, and lock shoulders with the people next to you and swag nah. surf. You're telling me you don't uh -uh. do that. I'll be honest with you, though, man. I don't like to be touched by people I don't know. <laughs> and so, you know, yeah, like I remember. You're supposed to be with your homies, man. Maybe I remember when the uh, "Wipe Me Down" came out, and and I, I really like would try to avoid being in public spaces when that song came on because oh, man. random grown men would start to brush my shoulders and stuff, and I'm just like, why are you well, touching? Well, I mean, me? so that's so that's that so, like a another problem, man. I, I don't know what to tell you there. Nah, nah, but uh, but the swag surf thing, you know, interlocking arms with strangers, it's it's cute, it's it's fun. But, you know, I'm not even really big on that one. Well, this is actually a very good segue into the Homecoming concert in general because right. this was a very black African-American performance through and through. Right. It was really cool to sit down and watch it. Um, and I do have some criticisms, but for the most part, I loved it. Um, in fact, I sent you a text when I was done watching it. I was like, yo, this show is yeah, official. Yeah. But it was really cool to sit down and witness and kind of be reminded of all the black moments that I've experienced growing up in this country, right? Um, mm -hmm. I mean, they, they literally touch on everything. Mm. Like I said, the song that we're just talking about combines two very African-American-centric songs. Obviously, mm -hmm. you know, you heard about how freedom transitions into the Lift Every Voice and Sing, the Black National Anthem. Right. There's a swag surfing moment. Oh, wow. Yes, there's a whole bunch of references to the step shows and everything else like they just they had so much there and the documentary itself like every 20 minutes or so they have a quote from some prominent african-american person either an educator or a poet activist whoever most of the times the quote is like from someone at a historically black college or university right so that was really cool. Just to, to pivot the conversation a little bit mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on kind of the directionality of where both Beyonce and Jay-Z have kind of taken their career. Like, I know you're you're noticing it getting a, a lot more unapologetically black, right? Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on kind of that? Because I know in past we've had, just to give folks some context, we've had some, I'll call them criticisms, right, of kind of the way both of them kind of manipulate their fan base and, yeah. and manipulate moments and kind of take advantage of those things to, in order to to garner more attention and garner more fan base. So what are your thoughts on 
where they're kind of taking that angle. So I am of two minds of it. Normally when I say that there's kind of like polar opposites of each other, one is very positive and the other is somewhat of a criticism, but it doesn't bother me as much. And I'll start with the criticism and that is, yes, I think you're absolutely right that they are catering to a certain audience. The woke audience right now is hungry for anything woke, hungry for everything black. And right. they want that to be in the forefront. And so they're going to mm-hmm. eat this up and perhaps put more on it than warrants it. Mm. So from that perspective, yes, I do think that this concert definitely does cater to that crowd. But that being right. said, though, it doesn't bother me because mm-hmm. I genuinely believe where Beyonce is coming from. Like, I think that if mm-hmm. you're growing up black in America and you're especially like I didn't grow up in Houston. You know what I mean? I don't know what that's like. But if you were around that kind of environment, if you're around in the South and around HBCUs, like I didn't go to an HBCU. I'm not even from the South, yet I understood Mm -hmm. all those references. Like they they meant something (laughs) to me and I was happy to see them. You know what I mean? So I can see why you would want to celebrate that. And in my Mm -hmm. opinion, I can't think of another artist who's really done it on this level. And the Mm -hmm. closest thing I can think of would would be like, uh, when was the Rumble in the Jungle? When was that? Was that 70? When was that? Six seventies, somewhere in the early seventies. Whenever that was, and the concert that they put together with James Brown and all those Uh artists, like that was a very unapologetically black event, right? Right. But that was really more focused on the music. It didn't necessarily focus on parts of the African American experience, the African American culture that weren't necessarily, you know, broadcasted to the world. This Mm -hmm. did that, and I can't think of any other artists who have. And I'm not saying that other artists haven't done it. Just none have come to my mind. What about like the, like they don't really care about us and what like, you, you know, you know, the, the Michael Jackson song, they don't really care about us. And, and I think there was a big moment and I don't remember what event it was at. So apologies, but um, where he performed, they don't really care about us. And it was supposed to be, you know, you had the images of the black and the white and et cetera, you know, even the, the song black or white, right? Like, um, but that's not uh, the same the... thing though. That's not necessarily <clears throat> what I'm talking about. Like, yes, there've been plenty of artists who have highlighted these struggles of black Americans, the, you know, highlighted blackness, but not necessarily these aspects of black culture for a two hour concert. I mean, the whole oh, no, thing not... was like a celebration of African American culture. That's what I mean. Okay. I and you. I haven't necessarily seen another, artists do this at least not on this scale maybe little tidbits here but like an entire concert on like arguably the biggest stage in you know current um musical industry what like coachella is like is the biggest stage is it not it's one of them it's one of them it's definitely one of them like so to do it at this stage is is huge i think it's also educational right because coachella caters to more of a millennial crowd so Mm -hmm in some ways you're not preaching to the crowd, right? Right. Like if you do this in New York City, you know, or you do this at Roots Picnic, right? It's like you're telling people what they already know. Mm -hmm. But Coachella caters to like tweeny all the way up to, you know, early 20s, like white girls. Like that's their their core audience. So, you know, to to educate like that, it makes me respect it that much more. Yeah, and let's also not be twisted. At least for the way that the Netflix special shows it, there was a lot of black people in that audience. Uh, a lot. Mm-hmm. It had a mixed crowd as well, but it's Beyonce though. Yeah, it is Beyonce. So black people are going to show up, this right? Is, like yeah, black yeah. women idolize Beyonce. Well, not just black women, um, but yes, a lot of people idolize Beyonce, and we will discuss that as well. But um, 
you know, you also had to commend Beyonce for really getting the talent that she got. You know what I mean? And how incorporated they all felt in what she was doing. You know, I think you had to commend her for that. She didn't just like get popular names. Like she got, I'm not sure the best way to phrase it, but um, I don't know, just all the black talent that she got, the dancers, the band members, like the baton twirlers, things like that. Like I, I think that it really was a celebration of blackness. And yes, it is very easy and obvious to point out the fact that she is catering to a certain crowd, but I just don't care. I'm cool with it. I'm fine with it. And to be honest, I thank her for doing it. It meant something to me. And I'm, a, I'm not a person who is a Beyonce fan like that, at least with the music. I'm, I will never like her voice, just ever. And in fact, the song that we... No, and I mean that in, with all sincerity, so that when people hear me praise Beyonce for doing this, they understand that, hey, look, I'm not a genuine fan of a lot of her music. So I'm saying this, you know, to be fair and to be objective. But for example, the song that we just talked about, Before I Let Go, to be honest, Beyonce is not the best part of that song. The best part of that song is, is obviously how we feel emotionally with the two tracks that are, are arranged and the arrangement itself. I mean, this shit is, this shit is fire. And listening to this concert or, or watching this concert, one of the things that it, it made me feel like was uh, I actually wished that I enjoyed more of Beyonce's music than I do and it just it highlighted to me just how much of her music I, I don't really like but here's the thing though and this is why you should go back and and watch it or at least listen to the Spotify playlist and that is it like the marching band and the instrumentalists that they use to put forth the music did an excellent job I mean there are songs that I can't stand to listen to regularly that I was absolutely rocking to when I was watching so for example like I'm a diva right I do not like that song I'm a diva at all but that joint was cranking during the, the performance. And I was like, yo, like there were a lot of arrangements that, that they did. I'm like, I do not like this song, but this shit goes. So that performance is fire. And dare I say that if anybody wants to say that this is the best performance of all time, I don't know about an individual performance because I think it, as an individual performer, it'd be hard for her, really almost impossible for her to top anything that Michael Jackson has done, right? But just as like a, an overall performance with all the, the characters in play, and all of the arrangements and, and the band and, you know, the choreography and all that stuff. I will not take an issue with anybody saying that this is possibly the greatest performance ever, at least in our modern era. It was really, really good. Cool. I haven't seen it. So sounds 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 interesting. <laughs> obviously, obviously, you'll check it out and I'll hear your comments off mic. The only other thing that I want to say is that the way that the documentary actually came together was really cool. Um, this is probably the first time I've ever really been able to empathize with Beyonce on any human level. And most of that, I will admit, is my fault in the sense that Beyonce's music has never encouraged me to actually go out and find out more about her other than what I've heard in passing. Right. So other people, they've taken an interest in Beyonce and they've gone and done their homework. Her music has never made me break out of my daily routine to go and do my homework. So I've never really had the chance to get the, you know, the look at her in her life and see who she is. But I think they do a really good job with this. Seeing her struggle with her pregnancy, the fact that it wasn't planned, the fact that she had twins, the fact that like all the hard work and all the sacrifices she meant to get that snapback body that they talk about. Um, but it, it really comes across as, as personal and real. Like, and I actually connected with it, I, even though like, you know, I have no idea what it's like to be pregnant, but just seeing that human element of her, I was like, wow, this is, this is really cool. I am rooting for you, Beyonce. This is great. So I actually thank her for putting this out 
I will go back and watch it. It was really good. That's dope. Yeah. I mean, to take it back to the question that I had, I mean, I personally don't, I'm not of two minds. Like, I think the fact, while while it is kind of trendy to be like woke and stuff like that now, mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that they have kind of just, you know, with both feet stepped into, you know, yeah. the celebration of blackness. Like, I think that that is to be applauded because you look at, their other contemporaries, you know, who have the same magnifying glass on them. And, you know, they haven't all chosen to do that. I mean, you look at, you look at like a Kanye, for example, right? Mm. Like he, he decided to do the opposite. So I mean, celebrate himself. Yeah. Like you can still, you can still be wildly popular, wildly successful, have all the attention and do the wrong things. And I'm, I'm saying wrong from my perspective. But instead, they've kind of chosen to, with both feet, step in and try to do the right things. And I, and I really respect that. The one thing I will say for Jay-Z, to just kind of take it back to a broader conversation, because I, I haven't seen Homecoming yet, is that um, I really wonder and, and, and wish and hope that somebody could have like a candid conversation with him about how he feels about the gentrification in Brooklyn and kind of bringing the nets to Brooklyn and the role that that kind of played in to the current state of Brooklyn and how, you know, the project kind of, once they kind of used him as the face of it, then he kind of no longer was a part of that project. Yeah. And then they were able to continue to to gentrify Brooklyn and move through Brooklyn. I wonder what his actual feelings are now, because it seems to me like Jay-Z he always was a businessman and it's mm-hmm. something that we've almost criticized him about on this on this podcast, right? He always was a businessman and business was always his focus, but it seems like kind of early on he may have taken some missteps, but it may have just been him finding his footing. Mm-hmm. And it really is starting to feel now like he really has found his footing. I mean, another topic that we haven't even said that we were going to broach in this is he he supposedly just became a billionaire, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or at least on the books, right? Congratulations! So, uh, <laughs> congratulations! Carter. Shout out to him. It's it's interesting because I thought, I thought that Dr. Dre was supposed to be the first hip hop billionaire, but now I'm hearing Jay Z is. So I don't know if the the Dr. Dre thing wasn't true or or what what. It's but, it's. I mean, it doesn't matter. They, these people have yeah. these people have an, an unfathomable amount of wealth. Right. <laughs> so I I can't really pocket watch them and 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 really comment on that. But you know. It seems like Jay-Z has now kind of found the footing in terms of where where he wants to be and how he wants to be positioned and is just kind of moving forward full steam ahead. And I really, you know, want to commend that. I really like how I'm seeing that, both in the way he's moving and, and his his career, mm-hmm. um, things that he's doing off camera as well. And, and same for Beyonce, right? Because I think they've had such a big magnifying glass and spotlight on them that I feel like it's been easy throughout the years to really knit and criticize them. Yeah. But now I really am seeing, I'm really seeing it kind of come full circle for them. Uh, so that was kind of the reason I asked that question. Yeah. To answer in terms of Jay-Z, I think that one of the things we have to consider is where he came from in the sense that he didn't necessarily have any mentors who would really look out for him. Right. In fact, right. I would argue that all of the business mentors that he had probably wanted a piece of him to some extent. So you, you can't necessarily mm. trust that. So yeah. I think that with Jay-Z, 
<laughs> there's actually a quote from I think it's uh, from Divine Diggs who we'll talk about in the next documentary series where he said <laughs> that his mother told him that you know you could be wise or you could be smart a wise man learns from other people's mistakes a smart man learns from his own mistakes be wise don't mm. be smart well I don't think mm. Jay-Z really had that option I think Jay-Z had mm. to be smart I think Jay-Z had to learn from his own mistakes mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily sure what business figures he you know what right. if they had his best interests in mind or whatever but I, what i can right. say is from what i understand like what rock nation tries to tries to do tries to get these artists to have ownership over their music and over mm -hmm. their branding and things like that and even right. when we talk about the story of oj which in my opinion was by far the most critical song on 444 not the mm -hmm. actual title song 444 but that right. song is so powerful because he's not talking to me and you not yet anyway he's mm -hmm. talking to the Migos of the world. He's talking to mm -hmm. the Drakes of the world, to all these other little artists who are going out there and they have they have stake now. Yeah. People are interested in, in their product. And he's trying to convince them, it's like, hey, look, like mm -hmm. uh, you need to own some things. You need to start making your money work for you. You can't just yeah. you know spend it on strippers and champagne. That's what I did. Yeah. And I still made it out, but there's a smarter yeah. way for you to do it. So I think he's doing that. And in many ways, he's being the change that he wants to see by actually yeah. creating opportunities for these people, you yeah. know? So it's not just, you know, speaking down to people like, hey, you, you should go do this. You mm -hmm. know, instead, it's like, I'm going to also put my money where my mouth is and, and make it so that you can do this. If, right. if you can empower yourself, I'm going to help you empower yourself. So I really respect it. Okay. Yeah, so shout out to, to both Beyonce and Jay-Z in terms of where they are. All right. Um, so that should cover it for Beyonce Homecoming. We're going to move on to the Wu-Tang Clan documentary of Mikes and Men, which hit Showtime, I believe, May 10th of this year. Okay. And there were four episodes. Mm -hmm. How many episodes of this did you see? I think I've seen three. Okay. Oh, man, you got to watch the fourth one. The fourth one is probably the most important. But what did you think yeah. of the three that you saw? I think they did a really good job of putting the whole thing together. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that I really loved about it the most, like, I mean, you know, I've read You God's book. Like, you know, I ha I ha like I know all these stories, right? I've read Riz's book. I've read I read You God's book. I've listened to most of these albums that they're talking about. Um, it was cool to see some of this behind the scenes footage, mm -hmm. even though I saw a lot of it in like the show. Like right. a lot of that is footage from the show, right? Mm -hmm. But like just the the camaraderie that they have there was really dope because it's just like you know they say like the uh, the friends that you have that you know you may not talk to them for a long time but when you connect again you know it's it's just that brotherhood and that love just never goes away like mm -hmm. like you can see that between them and i i really thought that that was dope i saw a blogger that i i follow had a i think it was a tweet or a post where he was he was saying his favorite moment of the documentary is method man comes in kicking a rhyme you know in front of in Ghost front of the, the other yeah in front of well ghost is the one that pounds him yeah, but yeah, yeah he's yeah, rapping yeah. it for the other woo members like and he talks about how even all these years later he's still trying to impress his boys like he's writing his rhyme so that yeah. his boys would be impressed by it i thought that was really good he still got bars so too that was oh, i was sure. i was feeling that verse <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah like you said meth is somebody who was born to rap like he's always gonna be able to do that forever <laughs> i love method man and this documentary solidified that for me yeah. what i loved is that his disdain for dope dealing he said mm. he hated dope dealing he hated it and it made me think about the fact that i'm not sure if i've ever heard him really 
talk about selling drugs in his raps. I mean, maybe, but Yo, like, you, I'd be hard pressed to really find a verse. Definitely like not him boasting about it, like, like Jay Z. You got to read You God's book because You God's book basically says that Method Man was the worst drug dealer of all time. And oh, is that what it was? He did it for a very short time, and it's funny because he actually kind of co-signs what You God said about him in yeah. the documentary. If you if you remember, at one point, Meth says, you know. Um, he says, I can't even really say me and you God were partners. Like I sold his work. Remember he said yeah, that? Yeah. Cause like you God was the person who was, was doing it. And then they worked together at the sanitation thing for, um, at the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. So you God tried to help him out by like putting him on, like letting him sell a little bit. But he, he told stories about like, like fiends coming and running off with Method Man's like, money <laughs> and Method Man having to chase him down the block and all kinds of stuff. Like he's got stories in there. It's a really funny book. But uh, anyway, yeah, I think that's probably why he doesn't talk too much about it because it he doesn't seem good. like he was particularly good at it or did it for too long. But I also believe him when he says that he just didn't like it, uh, that he hated yeah. that aspect of the life. And I think that we see that, you know, he's met the man's a genuinely good dude, at least. Yeah, it seems so on the uh, on the documentary. But yeah. um, I, I have to say, before I get too much into the weeds, it felt uh -huh. kind of incomplete to me. I yeah. think that one of the things that it lacked was they didn't talk a, enough about the deterioration of the music itself. Thank we, you. We could talk exactly. about the camaraderie and how, you know, everybody had their own independent managers, but that mm -hmm. does not excuse RZA from having poor beats, which he did. Yeah, exactly. From the W on, like, it was just like, yeah. some of those albums they put out, like, what is, what is the excuse for it? Yeah, you know? because RZA didn't entirely fall off either. He's had dope beats since 2000. Like, he's had dope beats recently. He... Put mm -hmm. together the track on um on my my beautiful dark twisted fantasy for Kanye West. I mean, like the roots of that, mm -hmm. the skeleton of that beat. That's all RZA, and you can hear it right mm -hmm. away. You see the production credits. Oh yeah, that's RZA. That shit is fire. Mm -hmm. He has some other dope features as well, but at yeah. the same time too, like you know, I, and and I don't even want to criticize the Bobby Digital stuff because I think yeah. that an artist is entitled to experiment, and I don't even mm -hmm. dislike everything he did there. You you know what I will say there though, like. I feel like when they did the first two albums, right? Like Enter the Woo and and um, Wu Tang Forever. Uh, yeah, Wu Tang Forever. He really had the confidence of his groupmates, right? Yeah. And so, like the thing about somebody who has the talent that RZA has, I feel like you have to just kind of completely just put the ball in his hands and allow mm -hmm. him to to go completely off the deep end. But like, it seems like the later projects, particularly Ray. But um, multiple members in the right. group were questioning him at every turn. Like, yeah. nah, you know, let's not do that. Let's not do that. Where they were saying when they worked on the earlier joints, similar to Dr. Dre, like, he would have, like, you know, he'd be making the beat there and, and they would be writing. When they recorded, they just gave it to him. And then RZA was actually mm -hmm. arranging the records after the, yes. they were recorded. So, Genius. So, so they Jesus. put they put the ball in his hands completely. They didn't say, "Yo, put my verse here, do th do this." They just rapped and they went away. And RZA got to do his thing. But it doesn't seem like in the later projects they had that kind of confidence. In it. No, you know what I mean? and in the last episode, Raekwon says about RZA, he says, "You know, you're a good leader, but you're not a great leader. A great leader allows Whoa. everybody to express." their opinions and their feelings about what they want to do and then the and then the great leader hears all that and makes a decision and i'm like look ray wow. i i respect you ray but you're wrong R mm. i just disagree 
RZA, in my opinion, was a great leader. And none of them, save for maybe Method Man, assuming Method Man had an opportunity outside of Wu-Tang Clan, I don't mm -hmm. think any of them, including Ghostface Killer, who I yeah. love, would have, any of them would have careers without RZA. None of them. And I mean, even outside of RZA's musical contribution, because RZA is the musical yes. contribution, yes. right? Um, it, it was also interesting when we did get to hear from Divine and Power. Yes. Like, RZA was kind of a buffer, because them niggas yeah. was about business. They did not, like, like you know, Divine was like, look, I don't care, dog. Like, I, like y'all want to talk about, oh, give me my release papers, give me that. Like, fuck y'all. Like, you're going to do what I told you to do, because yeah. I'm putting the money up. And I have a piece of paper with your name on it. Yeah. Like, and RZA was the one who was kind of like, let's do right by them. You know, it's all good, X, Y, and Z. So I think that's something that's also lost in the equation when they talk about their relationships. Well, you know? that to me was the best part of this documentary. When mm -hmm. we hear from Divine, I sat yeah. up, I was like, holy shit. I've yeah. never heard from this man before, ever. And, and he ever. said that thing about, he was like, he was like, um, RZA told him he couldn't speak yes. for 25 years. Yes. I, I feel like that's probably contractual because he seems like the type of person, both him and Power, who the only reason it would be that. And he said specifically 25 years would yeah. be an actual contractual document. Yeah. I think I learned a lot from hearing Divine. And yeah. I completely understand both sides. RZA says this mm -hmm. well in the last episode. He says it. Mm -hmm. Divine is right in terms of all the business things that he wanted to do. You yeah. know, Wu-Tang was worth about 50 million in 2000. And then as they lost each of their individual artists, the company mm -hmm. itself lost money. Ultimately, they lost some steam. Divine mm -hmm. is right to not want to lose that. But at the same time, if your brothers feel like they're in bondage, right. that's not healthy and positive either. So I, yeah. absolutely, I absolutely hear both sides. What I will ultimately say is that I think the problem was ultimately with Divine. And I'm going to say, and here's why I'm going to mm. say why. If you look at how each individual invested their money, and then mm. you look at the way how Divine invested his money, mm -hmm. easily the person who had the more foresight was clearly Divine. He was right. buying properties. He was um, setting up trust funds. He right. was making sure that their kids wouldn't have to pay to go to school. He mm -hmm. was doing a lot of things that were very business oriented and very right. savvy and very forward thinking. Whereas, you know, Capadon is in the last episode asking for five bucks and he's joking Yo. around with it, but he's, but he's for real. And so on that one side of it, Divine is absolutely right. But at the same time yeah. too, if your brothers can't understand that, you can't mm -hmm. belittle that to them to make yeah. them understand. You yeah. need to find out another way to make them understand that mm -hmm. what you have right now is not is temporary. It's not going to last forever. How can right. we build for the future? How can we own Staten Island? And I think that's where Divine yeah. was thinking. And he was absolutely right to think that way. But yeah. at the same time, too, I have to side with RZA as well. It's like, look, if your brothers feel like they're in bondage, this is not a situation that's working out. And in some cases, sometimes you kind of have to let the kid put their hand on the hot stove, right? Yeah. Like, like, you know, at the end of the day, right, RZA was the mastermind behind everything. And mm -hmm. if if these guys wanted to walk away in some ways you know maybe they needed to to have that opportunity to go and learn that lesson and then come back and i think maybe that that's where divine's heavy-handedness might have also contributed to you know everybody feeling like because you know it's like then right they're kind of in this in this in-between purgatory where they're kind of in bondage to woo but then they're they're out here doing x y and z kind of similar to um 
the locks, right? When right. The, we had the whole free the locks campaign, and they said all that crazy shit about Puff, and Puff said crazy shit to them, and the whole nine. Then they were finally free. Now they're all cool with each other because at the end of the day, they got off and they realized that like the grass isn't necessarily greener. Right. You know what I'm saying? So like I think had some of those guys not felt that bondage, they would have gone off, failed on their own. I mean, you've heard immobilarity. Sorry, Ray. Yeah, it's not good. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, and then came back to the fold. Only built for Cuban links is not a bad album. That was pretty good. The, the, yeah, second, but, one, the second but, one. But Rizzo was on it. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, one of the things that kind of disappoints me is that one, they don't talk about the success that Ghostface yeah, had that in was his solo weird. career. And they specifically didn't talk about Supreme Clientele when it's just like, why wouldn't you guys mention, That's super weird. in my opinion, the second greatest Wu-Tang album ever, in my opinion. Uh, the first yeah. is, is for me is Wu-Tang Forever, right? Mm. But either way, it is one of the greatest Wu-Tang albums ever. Yeah. And they don't mention it at all. Like, why wouldn't you guys do that? I loved the footage that they had of their house in Beverly Hills. Yeah, yeah I've seen them, that before. And, yeah. them, and them playing the uh, the Wu-Tang Forever, uh, you know, records. Uh, I think they were playing Reunited. Mm-hmm. And they, you see it in the studio. You see them all in there writing to Reunited. I thought that was really dope. I thought that was really cool as well. That's footage I think I've seen before, though. I think I've seen most of it as well, but I don't think I've seen the scene where they're actually in the studio and reunited it. The beat to reunited is coming out of the speakers. Mm-hmm. So there's probably more that we could talk about it. Like, you know, it's right. Wu-Tang, so I could talk about it all day. But <laughs> were there any other important things about the documentary that you wanted to, to speak on? You hit it really well with the missing piece of like us really getting in depth about Ghost. Yeah, I think they did an excellent job of getting in depth about ODB. Yes, they did. Um, I felt like the only thing that was missing was I wanted the Mariah Carey story. They didn't give yeah. me the Mariah Carey story, yeah. so I was sad about that. But the, um, the funniest thing in the ODB uh, piece, which I did not mm-hmm. see at the time when the VH one was, was VH one, right? Who yeah. was following him? I didn't uh-huh. see it at the time, but when ODB's uh-huh. manager meets RZA, he's like, oh, you're the RZA. I'm like, dog, show some <laughs> fucking respect. You know goddamn well that that's the RZA. You know uh-huh. fucking goddamn well that's the RZA. Show some respect. Yeah. Oh, you're RZA. Oh, yeah, hey, man. I'm- Stop it. But I right. love Ghostface in general. I love that just how real he yeah. keeps it, how raw he keeps it. Yo, fuck Hot uh-huh. 97. <laughs> Yo, that was hilarious. And like, oh man, was, I love Ghostface. And usually, you know, you, when you do build these stories, you kind of have to build up like, you know, they're showing their meteoric rise, and then you have to show some sort of, you know, tragedy to go with the triumph. And and I thought they did a really good job there. Yeah. Um, one of the things I really loved was seeing the tension, kind of the tension between ODB and RZA when when ODB gets out of jail. And then when yeah. ODB goes to make his album and RZA and ODB are sitting next to each other in the studio and yes. RZA's helping him yes. write, you know, I really yes. love that because I was just like, wow, these two yeah. are like legit like brothers. You know what I mean? Like that, like yeah. I really, really, really liked that. So yeah. I had never seen that footage before. No, I hadn't seen that either. I think that the documentary did a very good job of making RZA look good. Yeah. They made him seem like a really decent guy. I think also any documentary that has Stretch and Bobbito in it yes. about hip hop in the 90s, to me, like, that's the stamp. Like, mm-hmm. that means that this is authentic. And, like, the whole story that Bobbito had about, like, them rolling up and be like, hey, yo, play this shit. And, like, the joint didn't even have a label on it. Like, yeah, it's just yeah, like yeah. a random white label. Like, yo, play this. And they're like, oh. he's like, all right. <laughs> Not trying to get beat up. I thought that was hilarious. I thought the story 
story um, that their original manager had about how like he he did that whole fake like somebody comes in like mm-hmm. yo can you play that woo like like where's that woo right, I'm trying right, to right, buy right. it and how he like got all his boxes off like that I thought that was a great story yeah, you gotta hustle you gotta hustle what else was missing the last thing I wanted to say was I wish that we had something in there about the flood yeah and how that kind of impacted the momentum that Wu was having in terms of their output yeah we don't really talk about all that much about inspector deck and how that affected his project but it would would have been nice to see well, we did get that yeah. them talking about deck going to jail which I you know I had heard that he had been yeah. in jail at a certain point in time but like I never heard anything else about it so that was that was kind of good background info okay all right, so I think that should probably wrap it up for the Wu-Tang Clan of Mikes and Men, unless you have anything to add about that. Nope. All right, so we're going to get into some of the albums that dropped this spring. And we're going to start off with, I guess, the big one from DJ Khaled, Father of Assad, released May 17th. What did you think? <sighs> it's just the most one of the most mediocre albums that I've ever heard. Okay. Um, I actually wrote something about this on social media, so I'm just going to go ahead and read what I said. Sure. And we can talk about it, because a lot of people had comments. I said, it's interesting how we applaud DJ Khaled every couple of years for assembling a star-studded cast of glorified karaoke singers to perform <laughs> mediocre covers of past songs we already like and are familiar with. <laughs> like literally entire throwaway projects with maybe one to two actual good songs on them. Platinum plaques, media coverage, rinse and repeat. It's almost a case study on human media consumption. I think that's good. Very <laughs> apt. Yeah, like I, like I feel like this is just... Get the biggest names that we possibly can, you know, um, don't really concentrate or focus too much on the music. We're just going to put some shit on, lay some shit on it, and then we're going to make it a movie, you know? And it's like, is this about music or is this just about celebrity? Well, um, we know it's about branding, right? I mean, DJ Khaled wants to make his money. I don't fault him for that. And that's what it is. But like, what's the purpose of making an album? Like, like, do albums still represent music, or have we gotten to a point now where we're we're in the kind of post music era, right? Where you just use music to promote things? I don't think it's one or the other. Um, I think it's both. I think that there are artists who are genuinely love the music and want to put out their best music, right? And you've mm-hmm. had the folks who are going to do it for the branding of it. I mean, there's yeah. that saying in basketball that. You know, all these star athletes, they're not really basketball players like they're they're businessmen with shoe Mm. contracts that use the NBA to advertise their shoe deals. Like, I get it. You know, it's 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 a lot of big money out here, especially for someone like DJ Khaled, who let's let's be real here. He's DJ Khaled. He's not really a producer. Does he produce? I don't think he makes any of the beats on these records. That's what Uh, he he does does produce. But. I think in terms of his albums, it's more of an executive producer role. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, that that's what it's going to be for him. And for him, the real marker here is not about whether or not this stands the test of time. Like, fuck all that shit. He wants, to know, he wants it to get number one. He wants it to be the hottest showing in the streets. He wants it to go in the clubs. Yeah. That's the only thing that matters to him. So for him, I get it. But I don't necessarily think that's the case for everybody. I saw online, and I don't remember who this person was, but I wish I could credit you because I thought it was perfect. <laughs> Somebody said, this nigga DJ Khaled makes albums like playing fantasy football. <laughs> and I was like, yo, that's so real. Like, it's like it's like fantasy football. Like, he's just like, who's like the who's the biggest wide receiver I could get? Who's the yeah. biggest? Like, like, with no regard for, like, music, musicality, nothing like that. I mean, this is such a mailed-in-ass album. 
he actually put that I took the top off the Maybach shit or whatever song yes, that he, he had did. previously. He just put that shit back on there. Like, oh, yeah. well, I, I can't get Beyonce and Jay-Z in the, in the studio again with Future, so fuck it. Let's just put the same song on there. Like, right. <laughs> Were there any songs on this album that you did like? Oh, yeah. Like, there, there was a couple. Um, right. Obviously, the Nipsey, because okay. I, I, I got to hear Nipsey again. Um, and, and, and John Legend. I actually like John Legend on rap hooks. Okay. I, I think he should do more of them. And then the, the Jeezy and Ross record was hard. Big boy talk, yo. Yeah, it was good to get them back together. When that bass drops, yeah. I was at work and I went nuts. And all my coworkers <laughs> were around like, oh, Outlaw's listening to something he likes. And I just didn't give a fuck. That shit goes, yo. Yeah, that's right, Ross. That will definitely be on my, my cookout playlist, my cookout set when I do that joint at the end of the summer. But yeah, that's it. Like. Pretty much uh, the rest of the album. Here's what I have to say. First, obviously, I was disappointed because I think someone had told me that it was good. Or it, I had read something. Maybe maybe I just caught wind of something and said, oh, the DJ Khaled is hot. So I was like, all right, I guess it's going to be good, right? So I'm listening to it, and I'm just like, meh. And what it made me realize is that, look, there is going to be hits off of this record, and I am not going to be able to predict which ones those are. And that is actually very frustrating for me in the really? sense that, like, yeah, because, like, I'm listening to it, and my best guess is something like Jealous with the, the Chris Brown and Lil Wayne record. Uh, or, like you said, the Nipsey, the Nipsey John Legend, I get it. Freaking You with the, the Wayne joint, I, I think might be okay. And maybe like the Bieber record, the no-brainer. Like I could see maybe those becoming hits, but watch mm -hmm. none of those become hits. And instead, Scissor's remake over the Outcast Miss Jackson joint. Watch that become a hit. Like I thought that song was not good, but watch Yo, that one become the hit. But like, like what is a hit now? I don't right? know. Like, to, like it bangs in a club. It bangs at the day party. It bangs at the boozy brunch. That's the hit. Yeah, but it bangs for two weeks, and then we're talking about something else, right? <sighs> maybe. And and that's to me my issue, right? Like I think. Honestly, right, that one of the biggest records right now that I'm hearing, and we'll talk about this a little bit later again, obviously, but uh, Meg Thee Stallion, Big Old Freak, right? Mm -hmm. When that record comes on, like, there's an energy to it, right? Yep. And so, like, you see, you see the reaction around people that, like, what she's saying and how the music hits, the beat, the sample, everything, there's an energy to it, right? right. But, like, a hit nowadays is just, like, a song that we decide to is cool for a week and yeah. then we don't care about it anymore. Like, so from the perspective of making hit music, then I guess, you know, DJ Khaled is probably great at it, right? Because yeah. there's a whole lot of little moments on this album that we can talk about for a week. Yeah. But like, to me, like what a great record is or what, what a, even like a quote unquote hit is like it, to me, it's like it's going to have a greater energy and it's going to be something that we're going to talk about beyond just the conversation of what we did the last week at brunch. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what frustrates me about this album. I think in general, we do have hits. We've heard hits within the past three or four years that do meet the criteria that you, you just put forth. But I think generally speaking, I think your point is noted that when it comes to hits, most of the time it's just like oh this is a record we care about let's put on the next thing and we've talked about yeah. this in the past how there's just so much music coming out anyway yeah so. but i think i think we have you know more than ever we have a bunch of minor hits and then every once in a while we get a major hit you yeah. know you know you'll hear a song and you'll hear it you'll like it and it'll be the the shit for one to two weeks and then there'll be another one that's takes that place right all right, well, anything else about DJ Khaled? Wait, get into this story, because you were telling me how he was complaining that it didn't get number one. 
Oh, yeah. So apparently, like, he's really mad. And, and so apparently he stormed into the label office <sighs> and, um, and you know, complained that they didn't do a good enough job of promoting his album because Tyler, the creator's album, which is actually a creative album, went number one and his album did not go number one. Oh, we're going to talk about that, Tyler, the creator, too. I feel like when you make art with no passion... Yeah. You can't be mad when the I mean, I guess I guess it, it was designed to do numbers. And maybe in his mind, because of the fact that he got all these celebrities and Tyler doesn't, he should have gotten the number one. But to me, like if you make music that's not that good and, <laughs> and it goes number two, like shit, you should feel happy. I don't I don't know. It's just interesting that somebody who to me must not be passionate about music because this music isn't that good. Yeah is it gets so angry when you know but i guess if sales is your metric it makes yeah. sense do we have any thoughts on these buju banson records oh i'm so mad i do i'm curious how you can have buju banson on two records on your album and both of them joints is, is whack like that doesn't make any sense the guy has hit above average his entire career and yet you get him on two joints and they're both weak i, I, just, I just don't get it I think he took the ODB goes to Rockefeller approach, right? Like, <laughs> like, yo, you know, the nigga just got out of jail. Give him a bag and like get him in the lab for 30 minutes. Like, yeah, it, it sounds so like mailed in, right? Like, it's just like, yo, Buju, come through, drop some shit real quick, bounce. Um, and then he put that random, you know, sorry, but that random white chick who's supposed to be, she has, you know, faux locks or something. So I guess she's supposed to be a part of the moment. So, so we get like you know two heavy hitting jamaican dance hall legends on a record it's a bite of uh the evils are you familiar with that song which ones i one split day i take the evil i wait you know oh, that oh yeah that, yeah 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 you know that sample has been used on a, an r&b single in the last year which one was that uh the song is called the evils it's by this guy called sir he's a singer um from tde oh i vague, only vaguely familiar with sir in his music that record is fire. It's to me, it's his his best record. Um, but anyway, so he steals he steals his beat, but then he puts a bunch of like puts he puts some dancehall legends on it. He puts a bunch of transitions where I guess I guess maybe it's supposed to sound like when you're in a dancehall. So like the beat kind of changes at certain points and drops out, and there's all kinds of sirens. And I mean, it, it's doing a lot. That record should be good on paper, and mm -hmm. it's it's fine. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's frustrating to me. Like, like, like I love these artists. Yeah. And it's just like, how how do you make throwaway music with amazing artists? Uh, the beat is is a good beat. Like the song should be good, but it's yeah. not. All right. Well, you mentioned this artist previously, uh, Megan The Stallion, and we're going to yeah. talk about her album now, Fever, which was released May seventeenth. Yeah. Do you have any initial thoughts on this? I think the album bangs. It certainly does. I think the production is great. I really, really like the involvement of, of Juicy J and Project Pat. I do too. The subject matter isn't really for me. What subject matter um, is that? Like this is an album for the strip club. Pussy and, and, and dick? <laughs> I mean, it's it's an album for the strip and club. Ass and money. I don't spend that much time in the strip club. So like yeah. a whole album for like, like oh, you know, me and my bitches, we going to do ratchet shit. Like yeah. it doesn't resonate with me, but I do like the energy that I see that it gives others. So, so I, what are your thoughts? I fuck with this album. Yeah. I fuck with this album hard, y'all. Let me tell you, I was so surprised about this album because Megan Thee Stallion, the hits, the hits that I have 
heard even the hits the singles on this record right that i heard don't really stand out to me and megan really? the stallion yeah megan the stallion herself doesn't stand out to me i she's mm -hmm. fine she's not really a stallion i've seen stallions she's not one but whatever Whoa. whatever no she's okay. she's like kind of thick not really thick what? so in my opinion i don't Dog, she's thick all right cool then I mean, I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a huge fan. I'm just saying you I think you're you're knitting on her. My point is that she never captured my attention. Okay. Nothing about her look captured my attention. Right. Nothing about the, the hits captured my attention. Then I put this album on and I was like, wow. So let me say, let me say this. Mm -hmm. The investment in the production, not just from the beats itself, but like how everything is mixed and equalized is like pristine yes like oh I my agree. god like the studio quality of this album is amazing it's like if you took your favorite three six album yes and then you took it to mike dean and kanye and you were like yo do like 300 mixes of every song and yes. make it sound like fucking graduation yeah <laughs> the, the other thing i had to say about about megan is that yo she can flow mm. i don't think that there is any substance to anything that she's talking about i also don't right. care that's not a criticism most of these rappers out here aren't talking about shit anyway so that right. doesn't bother me but she has got a voice she has got a flow and she has a, has an energy that i can believe i think that right now yes. we're seeing a lot of women do this rap thing and mm -hmm. they kind of all sound similar and look that's not mm -hmm. a criticism because again most of these do sound similar as well so they're all kind of right. fitting into the same lane and that's mm -hmm. fine my criticism my criticism for these women is that i don't buy it coming from them a lot of them trying to try to sound hard on the record and i'm like yeah i see through that shit who who is specifically are we talking about because I, I just, just random so I, I, random joints random joints i see on 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 instagram random like little videos that i see pop up okay. the fucking okay. city girls whoever like i don't buy it uh, but okay. i even though i have no idea who she is aside from the fact that she's from houston like her voice her energy and her confidence on the mic i believe it now that doesn't mean mm -hmm. it's true what she's saying but i believe it and it works for me and yeah i fuck with her as an artist even though i don't really care at all what she's talking about <laughs> i don't care what three six is talking about either and i fuck with them hard i fuck right. with gucci man even though i don't really care about anything that they're talking about but I think that this project is legit. And I just have to say that, again, the singles, I don't really care about the singles. What is it, like Sex Talk, Big Old Freak, whatever. The joints that really go hard for me, really, really go hard for me, are Pimpin'. I think that's the joint that's uh, produced by Juicy J. That yeah. joint is nuts. And the Weak Ass Bitch. Oh, my God. I had Weak Ass Bitch on repeat for like... I don't know, like a half an hour. That, that actually sounds like a Project Pat song. It is, because I think I think it was an original Project Pat joint, and then uh -huh. I think he he's on the beat and they they refurbish it. Okay, okay. This joint has some bangers on it. I definitely fuck with it, and yeah, this shit is cool. I was surprised by this album. Yeah, shout out to Meg. I mean, we came on here and ate crow, you know, about Cardi's album. Yes. Um, we never really had anything to say about Meg and the Stallion, but yeah. you know, shout out to her for getting on our radar. Like, I well, think she's on everybody's radar. So shout out to us for <laughs> for for taking her seriously. She's on our radar, and it, I mean, we don't even like. I don't think strip club music is either of our bread and butter. No, you're it's right? not. It's not. Um, I know but, some of the staples, know, but you're correct. 
Yeah, but I, I, you know, Big Old Freak, like I said, it does have an energy to it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually surprised you haven't heard it out. Um, no, you know, no, I have. What I'm saying is that um, it didn't capture my attention the way that the other records on here, like gotcha. even like Ratchet Girls or whatever the Ratchet song is, like the mm, whole yeah. way this album starts, I'm like, yo, this this joint is this joint is tough. I like yeah, it. Yeah, it, it definitely knocks, and I agree that she definitely does have a flow. Which is is interesting. Like you know, this is a time frame where pretty much everybody who is making hit music right now has no substance, mm-hmm. um, and it's really just about the interesting things that they kind of do from a flow perspective. And I think with that in mind, she can flow with any of them. Yeah, right. She like, definitely um, can. And if you add to the fact that you know Cardi B doesn't write any of her own music, right. if Megan The Stallion is writing this stuff. In my mind, that puts her ahead of Cardi B in terms of my respect for her artistry. I'm glad that you mentioned Cardi because one of the things that we've said on this podcast, um, and I think you highlighted this, is the the idea that in hip hop, when it comes to female MCs, we kind of had this idea that like, oh, the, there can be only one. Right, right. And and with Megan, I don't get that sense. I don't think she cares about any of that. I think right. that she came in, she did what she had to do, and she's just going to keep doing what she has to do regardless of anybody else and i i really like that and i i hope that more women get encouraged to do that to just do their get in their own lanes and not worry about being better than nikki or being better than cardi just be you she kind of reminds me a little bit of trina but like a like Mm. just a a more polished version a more hard version of trina i'm sorry salute me or shoot me but i think she raps better than trina yo people are gonna be mad at me that's why i said more more polished no i agree i'm agreeing with you and I think I've actually heard her in interviews say, like, yo, stop trying to pit women against each other. Like, yeah. we, you know, we can all do our thing, which no. I, I definitely respect. And I get the sense that that's the artist that she's going to be. She's not going to buy, mm-hmm. at least I'm hoping she doesn't buy into that idea of being the one on top. And I understand that Cardi probably didn't want to buy into it either. I think she has unknowingly kind of gone into the whole, you know, her versus Nicki Minaj thing. I don't think that that was her intention, but I think she probably got caught up in that a little bit. But I don't see, I don't know that much about Megan Thee Stallion, but I don't really see that being the issue with her. So I'll be mm. rooting for her. I hope she, you know, continues to, to work with Juicy J and the whole 3-6 Definitely. camp. I love the way that her Houston Trill energy combines with that strip club energy that yeah. they got coming from Memphis. Um, yeah, I, I like this project. It was dope. Yeah, that pairing is amazing. Yes. And um, I, I read somewhere that she's actually uh, currently getting her, her nursing degree as well. Oh, so, good for you know, her. shout out, shout out for her for that. I think I think she was either at Prairie View or another school in Texas, um, you know, working on that. So, you know, you, my, my girl, you know, getting her education and doing her thing on the mic. Uh, that's that's respect. Yeah, respect, definitely. So the next album we're going to do is Ventura by Anderson Pac, and this was released April 12th. And the question is not whether or not you listen to this album, but how many times have you listened to this album? (laughs) I listened to it a a good amount of times. I actually listened to it a couple times again today. Oh, okay. I would say probably the only record on the list that I like listen to a lot, like multiple times. I feel like a lot of the music that I that comes out lately and you know maybe it's a result of my age as well but uh i don't listen to it a lot like i hear it and i'll be like okay i heard that project that was cool but this one i've listened to a lot okay all right so you like this one then yeah what about you yeah i liked it a lot and i want to say did this get mixed reviews from fans not from critics i know critics really like this but were fans kind of wavy on this one or not it was weird because it was like 
the last one got really mixed reviews and then all the people that hated the last one loved this one and all the people that loved this one hated the last one so i, I, I mean i love them both I, right i like both <laughs> of them so i don't get i don't understand the whole criticism about either of them well i do have to say i was surprised to hear it um yeah all of a sudden my brother was like like when oxnard dropped like i knew i was like yo oxnard is coming this day yeah. like i was i was ready for it like i woke up it was the first thing i downloaded to right, on spotify right. like i was listening to it on the way to work i was set yeah. like i think a few days goes by and my brother's like um yes yeah, so did you hear that new park i was like really <laughs> and then i listened to it i was like oh okay this is dope yeah yeah, yeah. well what i will say though about this is that there aren't too many songs on this album that really really stand out but it's such a cohesive project and it's so easy to listen to i mean i've listened to this yeah. album like i think 10 times already yeah i agree i think what with oxnard there are certain records and we we talked about it before so mm -hmm. we don't have to go back over it but there are certain records that really stand out um there's certain records that you can hear dr dre on there's certain you know it's like there's kind of pockets of the album but like you yeah. said this is like really cohesive it's only a 40 minute project I hate to use this term, but it's like it's like a vibe. Right? It is like it's definitely like, a vibe. Yeah, it's like its own vibe. You just kind of put it on. I, I consider this like cleaning the house music almost, you know, yeah, or like it's, it's Sunday, <laughs> like Sunday in your in your car with the top down music. Like it's just it's its own thing. Like you listen to the whole thing. You just listen to it straight. So and that's part of the thing for it, too. Right. Uh, the thing for me as well is that uh -huh. I've done several different road trips in the past couple of weeks. Right. You know, went up mm -hmm. to New York, went down to uh, Raleigh, North Carolina for a baby shower. And yeah. there and back, I was listening to this album like both times. Yeah. And it's just so easy to listen to. Um, yeah. Are there any songs on here that really stand out for you, though? There's a couple that I can name. There's a few. So the first single, Make It Better, mm -hmm. it said featuring Smokey Robinson, but like without them saying featuring Smokey Robinson, had I heard it, I would have been like, yo, this sounds like some Smokey Robinson shit. Like, oh, that's true. It, okay. It's got like a Motown, like Motown back when Smokey was writing everybody's yeah. shit. It has yeah. like that type of feel to okay. it. So I, that's definitely a standout for me. The the I agree with you to the feel of it. If it uh -huh. did not say Smokey Robinson though, I would not have been able to tell that was him in the backing vocal. The craziest thing to me is the producers on this, right? So okay. so Alchemist makes a banger that sounds like it was <laughs> it was a Smokey Robinson record that's and fair. Fred Rack. So Fred Rack is like gangsta gangsta like West Coast producer. Alchemist is Alchemist, right? Like right. this guy is like came into the game doing, you know, um, doing joints with Cypress Hill and uh, Soul Assassins and Mob Deep, right? And right. then we get this like beautiful soul record produced by them. <laughs> so I thought that was dope. I mean, musicians are musicians, you know, that, you know, Facts. you got Rick Rubin Facts. and Ray Charles making country music. So, hey. Yeah. I mean, see, the, those those guys, though, are different, man. <laughs> There's nothing that they could do musically that would surprise me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah, stand out there. I really like the record with Brandy. And Yo, I yeah, feel Jet like Black. every high, once yeah. in a while, Brandy like pops up and I'm just like, damn, like I wish she was one of those names still. Like she was, yeah. she was so talented. She is so talented. So that was dope to hear her yeah. again. Jet Black is definitely one of my um, favorite tunes on here. Yeah. And the one that goes right before that. I also really like yeah. Cho Chosen One. I do like that too. Mm. Um, I really like the message of King James. Okay. And I think it's funny because we've had, you know, maybe not so favorable commentary about, you know, LeBron. Right. Um, but I, I really like how he 
you know, weaved in the praise to some of the things that, that LeBron has contributed as well as Kaepernick and, right. you know, some of these other people. I thought that was really dope message-wise. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it was good to hear Nate's voice. It's not my favorite song on it's there. It's my but least was, favorite was, song on the record. Yeah, and I'm glad that it's the last one because that's the yeah. one that I... You know, one through ten, I listen to all the way through, and if I'm in the yeah. mood to listen to this last one, I will. But I'm not really feeling the song. It's the only I one would I call like. it a bonus cut, probably. Yeah. But I will say, right, it's a Nate Dogg and Fred Rec record, and so I mean, in knowing Dog Pound, right, this is probably a throwaway, you know, record that Nate and Fred probably put together, maybe for like Corrupt's album, because they did a lot of work together on uh, uh, for the Space Boogie album mm-hmm. uh, by Corrupt. So maybe this was like a record around that time. It just didn't make the project. And then, you know, he just picked it up and put his own twist on it. That's okay. what it sound, sounded like to me. All right. What'd you think about yeah. this uh, Andre 3000 appearance? I thought it was dope, man. I thought, and, you know, now I'm going to get killed. But I thought <laughs> that it was dope. But it's it's not one of my favorite Andre 3000 verses. It's like, not. You know. But I still I think like a it, lot though. of people were like, Oh my God, like Andre, this is Andre all over again. He's the greatest. This is the greatest. I mean, and it's like, because he is. <laughs> like, like, he definitely is one of the greatest. But, uh, but you know, like, this isn't like a I choose you level right. verse. No, this right? is like, true. This is just, it, but it was dope. I like what he was doing, you know, like, you know, with the, his voice and like, you know, using his voice percussively and, you know, some of the, the kind of cadences that he chose were dope. And, of course, the message was dope. I like I like how he, he rode into the album with this cut because he had the whole, like, you know, does anybody beg anymore? Right. And yeah. then you hear the whole record and it's got, like, that whole feel from the time when, like, dudes were literally begging on every record. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I thought that was really dope. What about you? So the only ones that we've mentioned or that we haven't mentioned that I was really, really feeling was Reaching Too Much. That's the the track number mm. three. That's the one that kind of starts one way and then it gets into this like oh. nice little dancey vibe. I and love the second half of this. Yo, record. that. Yeah. Man, that's the one track that I was probably singing to myself the most was Reaching Too Much. <laughs> and the funny thing, too, is yeah. it like I hate to say it, but I know so many guys, probably myself included from you know years past when i was not the best boyfriend i can admit (laughs) that like this is my theme song like everything he's saying i'm just like man like i felt this and i'm not saying that i'm (laughs) proud to have felt that right i recognize my shortcomings in the past but i'm just saying like i mean that was me you know what she's saying i was like yeah like i need some space or you know all this like how can one thing mean so much to you and so little to me like i don't (laughs) i don't get it but you know yeah. that's real that's real yeah i would say throughout the project the songwriting is is amazing mm-hmm. and succinct and really does a good job of capturing i think anderson pock and i don't even know how old he is i probably should look it up but anderson pock kind of younger than us i think by a few years I oh think. wow okay i think so i think he does a good job of like kind of narrating our generation's like perspective like a, a man in our age who grew up in like hip hop culture with you know R and B and soul and funk influences? Like right. he he's just really kind of right right up the alley. And so a lot of the topics that he's talking about here, you know, we talked a lot about how a lot of this music that comes out now, like it just doesn't resonate with me. Like I don't the subject matter and what they're saying doesn't really stick. But like everything that Anderson Pac is saying here kind of sticks for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you felt the same way. Yeah, I think that's actually a very good analysis because I think. When I say that none of the songs really stand out, I think one of the reasons why none of them really stand out is because 
one of the reasons because I haven't really looked at the track listing all that much. And it's because yeah. I've just let it play and just let the record seep in. And so, right. like, I look at the track list and I'm like, wait, which one is yada yada? And then I play right. yada yada. I'm like, oh, yeah, I love this record. I yep. can't tell you what it sounds like by listening to the name. I just know that I love this record. And yeah, I was able to resonate a lot with what he was saying on this album. And in general, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why I like Anderson Pac so much because he, yeah. he kind of does this clever thing where it's like he's a singer, but he kind of has like a hip hop cadence, but he's not yeah. really an MC, right? right? So, you know, when I think about Tupac, mm-hmm. I said before that, you know, Tupac as a, as a poet in terms of, using metaphors and analogies and wordplay double entendres and and all those different things i think that tupac is actually very limited but where tupac excels which is also where scarface excels is just being so relatable right Mm -hmm. being able to say something that can just resonate with a lot of different people in a lot of different circumstances well anderson pac can do that as well and he he's probably more effective because he doesn't have to be like the super dope mc does, does that make sense? Like he's able to use like the, the fusion of the yeah. genres of the modern day era to just be like a dope lyricist without mm-hmm. being like a dope MC, but it still works. And of course he's a musician yep. as well. So yeah, yeah. I, I think that, um, yeah, he's able to break down a, like a lot of things and, yeah. and put it into the song and package that all, all nice and tight there. So did you ever listen to that Compton album? A couple songs, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, that was kind of like his coming out party, right? Mm-hmm. And what I was going to say was like, could you have listened to that album and known that Anderson Pac was going to be to music what he is now? Because on the real, Anderson Pac is, this is going to be huge and, you know, shoot me, but Anderson Pac is one of the princes of this generation, right? Like, Absolutely. he's one of the, the actual, like, musical geniuses of this generation, right? Could you have ever have seen that, that he was going to be that when you heard him on Compton? Because well, he was all over that album. But like I said, I've only heard a couple tracks. And so yeah. I can't tell you right now what those Anderson Park songs sound like. I didn't really yeah. discover Anderson Park until he was coming to Broccoli CD Fest. I want to say it was, I don't know, three or four or five years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically yeah. it was right after Malibu came out. So I guess that yep. was 2015. Yeah, that was when it rained and Janae Iko was up there with That's him. right, that's right. And so yeah. that was like right before that performance is when I got put on to Anderson Park. And then mm. he came back again to the Fillmore. And by that point, I was like completely sold. I was like, yo, this yeah. dude, this dude is nice. So I yeah. haven't really peeped him on the, on the Compton album. We'll have to go back and, and check that out. Um, two things yeah. I want to say about that, though. One, I think that Anderson Park does really, really well because... He's one of the few artists who's able to engage with the older audience without it being yeah. like forced or without us offering mm-hmm. any concessions in the sense yeah. that, yes, I can get down with the Migos and I can get mm-hmm. down with J. Cole and I can mm-hmm. get down with uh, whoever else, Drake, whoever else it mm-hmm. is. But I'm always offering a concession, even with some someone like Kendrick Lamar, right, who I think is a dope musician. I think he's a dope artist. But as I've said before many times on this on this podcast, in terms of like just an MC lyrically, I don't care about the content. I don't care about the substance and the subject matter. When I talk mm-hmm. about things that I like from my MCs, to me, yeah. I think he's, he's someone lacking. Or someone like J. Cole, who I actually think is a dope MC. But musically, mm-hmm. is, I'm like, I'm kind of offering some concessions. Anderson mm-hmm. Park, to me, I don't have to give up any concessions to enjoy his music. Now, that being said, though, I'm not necessarily sure if the younger generation appreciates him or isn't, isn't enthusiastic about him 
as mm-hmm. we are. Like the kids yeah. in high school and, and early college listening to Post Malone or whoever who is mm-hmm. selling out mad tours, I think. I don't know because I couldn't tell you one Post Malone song. But, I, <laughs> you know, I went to an Anderson Pac show when it came to the MGM in Maryland. Uh-huh. And, yes, it was a, it was a packed house. But it right. wasn't like a huge, huge like it wasn't like a you know forty thousand like future people. or Migos. No, or, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't like that. So right. I'm not sure if he is engaging with the younger audience as much as he is with us, and maybe just because he is a newer artist, it feels like oh yeah, of course the younger kids like him. I, I don't really know because mm. it's hard to tell. Something I would say about him though it is, and this is gonna sound a little funny. You talked about how you like the fact that almost like he's not constrained by the constraints of being an MC. Right. Which which is crazy because if you think about it, to go back to your Tupac analogy, if Tupac wasn't constrained by us trying to compare him to Biggie and Cool G Rap and yep. KRS-One and these traditional down-the-line lyricists, I think we would have a much higher appreciation for Tupac for what he Oh, what he absolutely. What, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So I always say... To me, Tupac is the greatest hip-hop artist of all time, just from the perspective of artistry. That's but fair. he's not the greatest MC of all time, and he's not even he's not even in my top, like like when we're talking about just straight MC MCs. But he's to me, he's the greatest hip-hop artist of all time. He's on my Mount Rushmore, so yeah. Right. So to go back to, to Anderson Pac, I feel like in a way, he also benefits from what I'll call like anonymity of persona. So Tupac was kind of constrained by this, he, you know, once he became a superstar, thug life, right? So yeah. like he had to, he kind of had to make music that that went into the vein of this like thug life thing, right? right. And even, you know, you look at, at an artist like Miguel, who I think is also very, very talented. Mm-hmm. I think he's one of the, the, the talents of this generation. But I've seen how Miguel has kind of struggled with his image and like trying to make music that like conformed to the specific image that they're trying to make for who Miguel is. Right. right. But it doesn't really seem like Anderson Pac is constrained with that. Like, it no. seems like he really just makes music and like, we're not like, you know, does this sound like an Anderson Pac song? Like, uh, you know, is it, is it sexy? Is it hard? Is it, you know, like, I feel like we, we nowadays like image is just so important for artists that, there are very few artists that benefit from this kind of lane that Anderson Pac has where it's amorphous. He just he just makes music and we just like it or we don't like it. And yeah. um, you look at Andre 3000, who's on this album as yeah. well, right? And is also obviously one of the great talents of his his era. Yes, Andre had to fight to create the lane that he had, right? Yeah, so every time we wanted Andre to do something, he said, fuck y'all, and he did something different, right. right? So to a point where it's an exercise in futility to try to predict or dictate what Andre is going to do. Yeah. Whereas, like, this seems so much more effortless. Like, Anderson Pac doesn't have to fight to be this, you know, kind of amorphous thing. He just is it. Well, I, I really respect that. And I, I think one of the reasons why is because of people like Andre 3000 mm-hmm. and all the artists mm-hmm. who came before him who tried to you know, open the space Definitely. for, hey, just be you, be yourself. I think that one yeah. of the only musicians who was probably able to do that, well, it's hard to even call him a musician, but mm. Old Dirty Bastard definitely did that in the 90s, <laughs> uh, being himself. Yeah. But I tell you what, even with ODB, right, you kind of knew what an ODB record was going to sound like because it was 90% of the time going to be over RZA production. Yeah, and when Anderson Pac first came out, he was constrained that way too, right? It was like, oh, you're going to just work with Dr. Dre. And then eventually he just said, fuck that. And he, he started right. kind of doing his own thing, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, dope project. Yeah, cool. All right, so we got 
Skewboy Q Crash Talk. This is released April 26th. Yeah. And let me just say off the bat that I, I wasn't really feeling this, but I will mm. say though, I could see that if I were a Schoolboy Q fan and I was determined to continue listening to this, I could see how it might grow on me. Um, it, it was a short album, which I liked. It did have some some decent features on it. But generally, I, I wasn't really feeling that. So I just wanted to get that out of the way before we got your take on it. Yeah, I, and I'm glad you, you said that because I actually wasn't really feeling it either. Okay. And, um, and I'm a, a big Schoolboy Q fan, as you know. Um, I think that I had higher expectations yeah i think it's interesting you know he basically said that this album is the first time that he kind of disregarded what everybody else thought his fans his friends whatever and just made the album that he wanted to make and that, okay. that made him very proud of the album but i just think that you know the majority of the album is is kind of throwaway you know i think the best song on the album really is actually the last record where he went back and worked Attention. with alchemist again yeah Attention. the alchemist record that record is that record is good that yeah, record is good. So, I also um, like the record with Kid Cudi, Dangerous. I thought that was okay. And the Ty Dolla Sign YG record, Lies, was, was all right. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't me, mind it. It sounds like every other Ty Dolla Sign record. Like, fair. That's fair. You know, don't, don't, fair. Go, don't go make... I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, it's interesting because Schoolboy Q talked about how, like, his projects that had the best critical reception were always the lowest selling ones. Mm -hmm. And so that he was like, that tells me that, like, critics don't know shit and like you know i need to stop trying to make music for you know other people like i need to just make it for myself yeah but yeah man i i really was disappointed i think this to me kind of marked the end of a, a brilliant run of albums for schoolboy q okay because i don't think that this album's gonna really get much replay from me all right well he's got the what's the hit right now is it the the water with little baby I got yeah that yo, yo that little that little girl really helped him out because <laughs> you can tell what? that they didn't they didn't know that that was going to be a single like yeah. that wasn't it wasn't scoped to be a single it's not it hasn't been serviced to djs or record pools or anything um and then that little girl they put that little video out with that little girl that joint went viral and then it's like <laughs> okay yo push the panic button and get this out as a single so what did you think her. about crash the dj premiere boom sample what'd you think about that I just thought that it was it was really dope that somebody sampled DJ Premier. But do you think um, it sounded good? Because I kind of so, thought the same thing. I was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. Premier's getting sampled. Like, you rarely hear that. Yeah. But when I first heard it, I was just so happy about Boom getting sampled because Boom is one of my favorite mixtape cuts of all time. Yeah. It's a good but, it's a dope um, joint. Royce to 5'9". Yeah, Royce to 5'9", and, and a brilliant Primo record. But um, now that I've heard it a few times, I'm, yeah. it's, it's fine. It's okay. cool. Yeah. I don't know. Did, did you like the song? I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Mm. Just because of exactly what we just talked about. DJ Premier, it's boom. It's right. We're hearing it in 2019. It's like, oh, cool. Yeah, it's dope. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good throwback to you know a record that we are familiar with and love. Okay. All right. So we're going to go back to early March now. March 1st, we got 2 Chains releasing Rap or Go to the League. Did you listen to this album? I did when it came out. Oh, did you? Okay, did you have did you remember how you thought about it when it came out? I remember like everybody loving it and talking about how amazing it was and, okay. and me just not not getting it. Like I like I just thought it was just okay, like, okay. personally. What, so, did, what were your thoughts on it? I didn't listen to it until uh, Memorial Day weekend when I was driving back home from New York. That was my first time hearing it. And I was mm -hmm. really excited to hear it because as you know, 
I loved his previous album. Still right. love it. Pretty Girls right. Love Trap Music. I love that album. I think it's yep. great. And I liked the concept for this one. The idea of like rapper go to the league is something that we hear about a lot in mm. poor ghetto urban areas, whatever. You know, however you want to describe them. We hear about that that yep. theme a lot. So I thought this was a really good concept, especially because I want to say that he went to school to play ball, did he not? I think D, like a D2 school, but yeah, I think he that's, played ball. That's fine. That's fine. He played ball. So I was kind of disappointed from this album, though. Even though I thought it sounded well, he's got a couple songs on here that I really like. I really like the Forgiven. Mm. He's got a couple really good songs on here. Uh, the song where he samples High Life, the UGK joint, the Uncle Sam concept, I thought that was cool. But ultimately, yeah. I was kind of disappointed because I think that some of his hooks were really silly. For example, um, the $2 bill on Rare. On Rare. I'm like, all right, I get that we've had silly hooks from two chains that have become singles, big hits in the past. But right. listening to Pretty Girls Like Chat Music, I know that you're not as high on that album as I am, but I actually thought it was a very not a very but a deep album i actually thought he was talking about some real shit i i thought it was way better than this yeah I, for me that album i i thought that that album really highlighted the struggle between or the conflict between when you when you're selling drugs the idea of needing to be a boss right needing to floss but also trying mm. to be responsible and mature in the same time and trying to mm. balance is like look like I have to to advance in order to in order to progress in order to to feed my children in order to you know get whatever I need to achieve but at the same time right. too like you also have to like balance the flash it can't just be all about flash because you know that's how you get God or whatever like I, I'm not sure right. if I'm really articulating this well but the point is is that I thought that that album despite the fact that it wasn't necessarily showcases that i heard a lot of that in the lyrics and i was genuinely impressed with what two chains had to say on that record i was yeah. not as impressed with what he had to say on this record and i was kind of like mm -hmm. all right well maybe this is what two chains always was and pretty girls like trap music was just a one-time thing that i'll just like that record and none of the other ones so i don't know well, a couple thoughts on that right um one this is funny because we just talked about the schoolboy Q thing and about how, you know, he kind of felt as though he was trying to make some of his previous projects for others. Yeah. Well, you know, this two chains kind of touted this as his album where he was going to show us he could really rap. Right. Oh, and, really? Um, and you can kind of hear it a little bit that he's like really kind of trying to to move a little bit away from like the tra the trappier thing and like really try to, you know, be like more of a straightforward rhymer kind of like yeah what what waka flocka did when he tried to rap over like hip-hop instrumentals or whatever mm -hmm. um which is interesting because it's just like that's not really what we know you for so maybe that's not your strength yeah but uh the other thing that's funny about this is this was the beginning of lebron as the businessman right like yeah. so so lebron is now supposedly executive produced this album Dog, just fucking play basketball, man. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry to sorry to sound like Laura Ingram here, but shut up and dribble. Like this is not a good wow. album. <laughs> like like wow. like fam. Like no, you know. Yika is I'm, so I'm, problematic. He's quoting I'm, a Fox News host. I'm so happy that that he has the ability to, you know, branch out creatively and do yeah. different things. But I think. I would rather hear Two Chains um, executive produce his own project that I than agree to be with. going to LeBron James to executive produce it. I think it was a good marketing decision, but ultimately 
did not yield the best music. Um, I, I think that that is fair. I don't mind that LeBron James did this. I want LeBron mm-hmm. James to do all the business things that he wants to do. I just Facts. want ESPN to stop telling me how fucking good at basketball <laughs> he is and stop telling me that he's better than people that he's not better than. Tell them to shut the fuck up. LeBron can do whatever he wants to do. I, I, I don't care. I want him to make money. I want him to be a business mogul. I want him to do all those things that a gifted black man should be able to do. do that. But I do agree with you that on this, I don't think it yielded the best results. And it is ironic that 2 Chains wanted to do something lyrical because I actually think that his lyrics on this are rather lazy. And yeah. given what I heard from Pretty Girls Like Trap Music, look, I'm never going to say that he's lyrically on the level of someone like Black Thought, but I mm. heard genuine substance in wordplay and bars in that that I was like, yo, this dude can spit. And I never thought I would say that about 2 Chains. I did mm. not hear on this album, so I was kind of disappointed. But it has some joints that I like, so, you know, it's, it's cool. Yeah. So yeah, shout out to uh to Two Chains. This just wasn't it, bro. Like yeah. I, 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 it didn't do anything for me. Um, and I think I wanted it to do something for me because I felt like, to some degree, I felt like I was one of the people he tried to make this album for. If you yeah. get what what I, what I mean, I definitely get you there. Yeah. So we've got two more albums to to recap from the relevant stuff. Did you listen to the Tyler Creator Project? I skimmed it. I haven't heard heard it in detail. So this is Igor, at least, I, or Igor, however you pronounce it. This is released mm-hmm. May 17th. And this is the first time I've ever actually heard a, a project from Tyler Creator outside oh, okay. of a few random hits where he just looks weird in a video. That was <laughs> okay. the, This is the first time. So what were your thoughts? I like the music on this album. Mm-hmm. I thought the vocals sounded absolute dog shit. Awful. Awful, 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 the vocals sounded. Like they just don't sound pleasing to my ears. And I don't know if this is how he normally sounds on his records. I don't know if this is what I should have expected from him. Like I said, the music is dope, especially the way this album starts out. I was like, well, okay, like this is Tyler, the creator. I'm gonna look forward to this. And then I hear more and more vocals and I'm not even sure if they're him because like I said, I I don't know if if this is a guest or this is just how he sounds, but I thought vocally this was really, really bad. Wow. That's how I thought. What did you yeah. think? I was kind of pleasantly surprised um, okay. because of the fact that, and this is going to sound like a diss, but it's not. The vocals didn't really seem to be the the focal point, right? Okay. Like it seemed uh, really focused on the production. Yeah, which was and good. Then, I had right, to highlight and, that. It was good. And, and and then like the vocals, there were kind of some some records that didn't even like really have vocals. And then like some, you know, kind of the vocals would come in a little bit later and stuff like that. So, you know, I thought it was like kind of a, a cool experimental project. Okay. Uh, my criticism here, and it's been my criticism pretty consistently throughout Tyler's kind of solo career after that first project where he ate the roach. He's obviously very heavily influenced by the Neptunes, right? Okay. And you can really, really hear Pharrell all over a lot of his projects, this one included. Um, so that's the only thing. I mean, I, I think this one, it felt it felt like he finally is kind of straying away a little bit to, to get his own identity. And I mm-hmm. think I really appreciated that. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you were able to appreciate it more than I was. And maybe I'm being too <laughs> harsh. I gave this a solid two listens. I was like, no, I, I want to give this another chance. And I did. And I just think vocally, I don't see how his vocals... are appealing to anyone and it's not like the lyrics are all that great either Uh you know what i mean it's not like he has any subtlety in any things that he's saying they're very straightforward they're very surface level right we get it you're going through this breakup oh can we still be friends all right cool i i don't get it 
I may have to go. If there is a Tyler, the creator project that I need to go back and listen to, please inform me, enlighten me about what that is. Cause I, yeah. I've been hearing this name for the longest time. And it's like, I, it's like I said before with other projects, like if you don't have something that's really going to draw me in, I have to go out of my way to, to, to listen to it. So I went out of my way yeah. for this one and I was disappointed despite the fact the music itself was, was cool. And, and I mm-hmm. thought that was fine. But there's other projects I can listen to where the music is dope and there either's no vocals or the vocals are a lot more tolerable than this. And I, I say that word very intentionally. His mm-hmm. vocals to me are intolerable on this Damn. project. Yes, that is how strongly <laughs> I feel about this. I, I was not impressed. Yeah. So that's just my thoughts on Tyler, the creator. No worries. Next. All right. All right. So the last <laughs> one that we have for this uh, this section, we have Confessions of a Dangerous Mind from Logic. This is dropped May 10th. Did you give this one to listen to? Nope. Not going to listen to it. I understand that because <laughs> the last one was kind of like, what am I listening to? I actually enjoyed this project and I was surprised oh, wow. to enjoy it. Yeah. Now, that being said, though. Let me just let me just go through it. So first of all, like you said before, yo, he can he can spit for yeah. sure. He could definitely spit, and I think that a lot of the production, mainly from Six, on this album, is pretty good. He's got oh, some. Oh, Six is producing on here. Yo, he's got a Six has a lot of records on here. I like and the, Six. And this joint, it's like the number Six IX. Yeah. The music on this sounds good. I think he sounds good on it. Six did a lot of his uh, his earlier like kind of like mixtape stuff. Okay. And it was a lot less geared toward this like sappy like all oh, let's all come together and love each other suicide hotline shit. Yeah, he's got uh, some and suicide it was, like, hotline stuff on here too. He's got yeah, some of that on here too. It was more like his earlier shit was more just like just bars. And, okay. And that's that's what I like from Logic. I think you should give this a listen to and okay. tell me what you think. You you could do it off mic after you have a chance. But he actually cool. has some good features on here. So. Homicide with Eminem. I know we just sat through shitting all over Eminem, saying we didn't want to hear anything else from him. Uh-huh. But I could listen to it, especially the way that Logic incorporated Eminem into the track, right? Like mm-hmm. Logic kind of went out of his bag a little bit and kind of emulated Eminem. So by the time Eminem is on it, like mm-hmm. it works well as a song. He okay. also has a feature from Gucci Man called Icy. Which oh. is a like almost like a throwback to the Gucci Mane, Young Jeezy, Icy project, mm-hmm. um, which is when we I think we first kind of heard from the two of them. Um, yeah. That joint is I fuck with that record a lot because you know I like I like Gucci Man, especially like maybe not all of his projects, but whenever Gucci Man is featured on something and it stands out, like I just I fuck with oh, Gucci, yeah. right? No, I know I know you love Gucci. So so I, well, love is a strong word. I fucks with Gucci. Let's let's put the terminology <laughs> correct. I don't know what the difference is. It's both a pause. <laughs> all right, whatever, whatever. And the last one on here, yo, he has a Will Smith feature on here that's uh-huh. fucking dope. I kid you not, this shit huh. is hot. It's a song called Don't Be Afraid to Be Different, right? Which is perfect for having Will Smith on it. It right. sounds like something from like the late 80s, but with like a modern a modern twist to it. It sounds dope. It's it's a good record. He's got a lot, mm. he's got some other good records on here as well. What I will say though is that Logic will always have an image problem. And you've touched on this in the in the past, mm. but it's so evident on this project because on an album that I enjoyed listening to. I'm mm-hmm. still like, yo, Logic, you are have more talent than your image can provide. No matter what, we are always going to see you 
Mm-hmm. We're never going to see you as anything other than a suburban kid from the DMV who's never really had any trials and tribulations. And at the end of the day, I understand that some people might resonate with the, the whole depression and suicide thing. But two things about that. One, I'm not sure if Logic has ever really gone through that. Maybe he has. He's Yeah, he's talked about it a lot. Off the mic? Um, Some off the mic. Like if you watch his episode of that. um, The Rapture? Yeah, Rapture. Yeah. He talks about it there and he's talked about it a lot. Like I think he ended up, you know, his girl, him and his girl, she helped him get through depression. Okay. And they, they All right. Breaking up. Hold on. Yeah. Okay. So here's the ironic thing about that, though, is that whenever I listen to Logic sound like he's trying to be like an empathetic figure, he sounds like he's trying yeah. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. that that's always going to be the issue. It doesn't sound natural. Even if he's talking about something that he's experienced, it just doesn't sound natural. Um, he did reference the fact that he he's biracial, and he referenced the fact that it wouldn't be a logic project if he didn't reference the fact that he was biracial. <laughs> so I, I was amused by that. That is funny. But the, uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about is something I wanted to get your take on. And I saw okay. you post this, and I'm not sure if this is something that caught any steam. But apparently there was some kind of campaign to revoke Logic's uh, pass of the N-word. Yeah, so somebody put together one of those uh, online petitions <laughs> that you get like a certain amount of signature to revoke oh, his pass man. so they can no longer use the N-word. <laughs> Uh, was that was that something that was just taken serious, or did you just rather just like randomly caught wind of this somewhere? I just randomly saw it online and it made me laugh. So I it just made me laugh it. too when I saw you <laughs> post that. I was like, oh man, this is funny. Yeah, it's so funny because I can understand why someone would want to have him revoke the use of that word because it's like I said, it sounds forced. He mm-hmm. like even though he's mixed, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he sounds like like a mixed kid. Well. Look, that's real ignorant, even coming from someone who's mixed, because I don't know what we sound like, right? But let me just right. say this. Let he me doesn't just say sound this. like he doesn't sound mixed enough. Look, let me just the let me mixed just, Olympics. Let me just say this. Let me just say that, like I, I I can't tell you how many times that I've I've spoken with someone, especially growing up, and mm-hmm. they learn later that I was mixed. Like, oh, you you don't sound mixed at all, or rather, someone sees me and then they hear me talk and they hear the way I interact and they're like, wait, all right, mm-hmm. is he? see black like what's going on and i'm not necessarily Mm. trying to put forth whatever like the point is is it like i can see why someone who sounds the way logic sounds why a person would feel uncomfortable hearing him use that word i get it i get it i'm not saying that he should look we're talking about the n-word again which is like a real real random thing to try to govern you know what I mean? But at the same time, too, like, I, it's just so amusing that someone would want to revoke <laughs> his privilege. Like, like, as a mixed person, having someone tell you, like, what words you can and can't use is just, like, yeah. it's really, really fucking bizarre. I just think it's, like, and again, I don't really listen to this guy's music anymore, so yeah. I can only comment on what I've, what I've heard, right? But, like, when he first came out, he talked about how he didn't feel comfortable using the N-word because people couldn't identify him as black. Like, they couldn't right. tell he was black, right? Which yeah. which I was like, okay, I respect that. That's cool, right? He could have kept it moving. But now yeah. we're at a point where, like, now I feel like 
he's made it a part of his 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 branding so like now you know he'll use the n-word like and i think he does it in a like i don't know like an irony way or like he's yeah. like trying to show you like oh yeah don't forget i'm i can I'm mixed. Like, word, it's, yeah. like it's just it's like fam like you said you said you weren't going to use it because you you felt a certain way he, he could have even done the opposite and said look you know I'm just as black as I am white, and I yeah. feel like I sh I can I can use the N word. Never fucking talk about it again, and then just keep rapping and using the N word, and we'll just we'll just let it be what it is. But like this whole like going back and forth about yeah. it so that you can keep your marketing up is, is just annoying to me, and that that's my issue with Logic. Like yeah, no, his I agree. whole like marketing and image is just annoying to me. Like I just just rap, dog. Like you can rap, rap. I completely agree, <laughs> and I think that the smartest thing for him to do was not to address it at all. You don't need to define who you are for anybody. Right. You don't need to defend yourself. You are who you are. Mm. So, you know, the way you live through life, you know, if, if that's a word you want to use, like, use it because you want to use it. Don't try to let society dictate, you know, because they think you're light or whatever. But yeah. this goes to the problem that I just mentioned. Like, he has an image problem. No matter what he does, he's going to come across as force. And I think it probably has to do with a lot of, you know, deep-seated insecurities. And so I want to be sympathetic to him, especially as someone who's grown up mixed, especially as someone who, in a lot of circles, is very passable for being white. I think it's different, bro. And this is what annoys me, right? I don't think it's an issue of him internally, right? And, and maybe, you know, maybe there is some issue there. I think it's literally a label that says, we've got this kid, we can't really tell if he's black or white, yeah. he's not a gangster, like what is he, right? Right. He doesn't have an image that we can we can just sell. He's just yeah. he's just a kid that can rap. And, yes. and we, we've seen rap. this before, right? He can like, rap. like look at Los, right? King mm -hmm. Los, he he was signed to uh to, to Puff. Um, he's from Baltimore. He could rap his ass off, right? I'm vaguely but, familiar with this guy. So Yeah, I don't know exactly, so right? There there was nothing really like appealing about he's just a guy from baltimore that can rap yeah. and unfortunately that's not good enough in in mainstream it's rap not. anymore right so so now we got to figure out what the image is for for logic well his image is like he he is no image like he's just a, as a sympathetic empathetic guy who has dealt with depression his whole life and so we're going to make him really relatable and really down to earth so now like everything that they do and all of his marketing and branding is around this and so you know we got to watch him contend with the n-word and we have to yeah. watch him talk about depression because they don't have another lane to put him in and that's what annoys me like you know back to us talking about the whole dj khaled thing right like marketing and branding is more important than music so it, it can't just be good enough that this guy can rap and has six as a producer who's his man who makes make amazing beats like yeah we gotta try to make him talk about certain subject matter and then it's just whack to me yeah it's whack but i still think that it does have to do with some deep-seated insecurity in the sense mm -hmm. that look i understand you know what you're talking about taking the labels lead right but still mm -hmm. as a person as a human right. being who is existing in, in this world and trying to make it you need to know who you are right and you can't necessarily fall victim to the external pressures of the world and i understand mm -hmm. that that is something that happens to a lot of us in fact that probably happens to the majority of us but that mm -hmm. doesn't negate the fact that you need to know who you are and be true to yourself and not let yeah. these external pressures push you around and i think the right. fact that 
even if the label is telling him to do these things, the fact that he succumbed to it and hasn't necessarily persevered in the way that I would like him to artistically lets me know that there's a deep-seated insecurity. And I say mm, that, that not to sense. criticize. I mm. say that to sympathize in the sense that I feel bad that this is a situation for him because I do recognize that he's talented. And I actually think that he understands music. Given yeah. what I heard on this album, I enjoyed it. Mostly yeah. enjoyed it. I think it's like, it's the opposite of Cardi B, right? Right. Um, and I don't want to take away from the talent of, you know, what it takes to, to be Cardi B as a musician. But, um, you know, we like Cardi B because Cardi B's like, this is me, fuck y'all. Yeah. Right? And and like, that's what we love about her. So so the music is is almost kind of secondary to her per personality, her unapologetically her. She's yeah. unapologetically her. Logic is like the opposite, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's like it's almost like they're like they're crowdsourcing who he's gonna be. Like he's this yeah. like blank canvas, and he's like, "What do you guys want me to be?" Oh, okay, I'm gonna be emo now. Okay, now I'm gonna be the you know. And it's right. like he has all the musical talent, so just be yourself. I don't know. That that's how what I would prefer as a fan. I hear you, and I think that yeah, I think we would all prefer that as fans. <laughs> Seriously. So yeah. All right, so the last thing we want to say before we bounce is to give a, a big rest in peace to Bushwick Bill, who passed away June 9th from complications with pancreatic cancer. Uh, obviously, yeah. Bushwick Bill is a member of the legendary group Ghetto Boys, who also yeah. features uh, Scarface. But yeah. yeah, honestly, I don't know too much about Bushwick Bill, but I know that, you know, he's a big figure in hip hop. And so just wanted to say rest in peace. For sure, for sure. Like you said, I kind of came came on board after Scarface was already solo and then went back and, and you know, became a Bushwick Bill fan through Ghetto Boys. But, you know, definitely, I mean, I've, I've seen videos of this cat just flowing insanely. Right. You know, I mean, just for such a, a small frame, you know, <laughs> a big voice, you know, and a big contribution to hip hop. So rest in peace, Bushwick right. Bill. I, I think that should just about do it. Peace. Peace. Need me, little baby, who gon' let me and touch me the right way? Need me, little baby, who gon' run up and jump in the fight for me? Need me, little lady, who gon' keep it a buck like Milwaukee? Need me, little lady, who gon' show off, gon' show off, get right with me? Right with me.